Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Baptism and Shifting Landscapes by Rev. Ruth Boven. Our scripture reading this evening is from Colossians 2. We'll be reading verses 6 through 15, and that can be found on page 1830 of the Bibles in your pew. Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. As you know, we're in the season of Epiphany, which means I've taken down my Christmas tree, packed away the ornaments for another year. Now, as much as I enjoy sort of the ambiance of those twinkling lights and the nostalgia of those handmade ornaments, it's also always a good feeling to have the tree out of the landscape of the living room. We no longer need to deal with all those dropping needles, no longer need to sort of crawl under the Christmas tree to water it. We've moved our chairs back to their usual spots, and the look of the living room seems orderly and good to me. Now, I'm not a super neat or highly organized person, but I do like some semblance of order to my life. Especially, I've noticed, when things around me feel chaotic and out of order. I think that might be something common to many of us. That when life seems sort of chaotic, when it, when it feels messy or disjointed or out of control, we look for something that gives us some semblance of order or certainty or control. This week, I listened to a sermon by the late preacher and theologian Lou Smeads, who at the very beginning of the sermon said that when he would watch the evening news 
or when he was plagued by concerns about his children, when he contemplated the troubles of his life and the troubles of this world, and there's no shortage of them today either, he would say often to himself, keep hoping, keep hoping, keep hoping. Well, the words we read from Colossians 2 tonight help us do just that. For Paul's words form a message, an orderly message of hope. And if we boil down Paul's typically dense, thick teaching that is in this text also, the hope Paul has for us is the hope of being in Christ. Paul loves that term. According to Paul, our greatest hope and security is the truth that you and I are in Christ. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. But understanding what Paul means about that, about what it means for us to be in Christ, is important. And it's what we're going to think about for a little while tonight. Years ago, while at my previous church, I baptized a little boy. He was around three, I think, who had been adopted by a family in our congregation. Now, because he was a, a really alert and, and intuitive and, and thinking child, I directed the teaching about the baptism directly to him. Soon after, his mother contacted me to tell me what had happened a few days later. Little London had a doctor's appointment. And when the doctor put the stethoscope on Landon's heart to listen, Landon asked his doctor, Did you hear Jesus in there? I got baptized on Sunday at my church, and that baptism put Jesus into my heart. You can come to my church too. And you can be baptized. And Jesus will live inside your heart too. Well, you know, there's a sense in which what Landon was saying is what Paul is saying. That our baptism ties us to Christ in a way that changes everything, that shifts the landscape, the actual landscape of our hearts, and shifts the landscape, furthermore, of our lives. Paul makes clear here and in other places that he believes baptism is the single most powerful moment in a Christian's life. And that because through baptism we now dwell in Christ, everything has been forever and radically changed. I think the radical nature of this is captured through something Lou Smeads wrote once when he suggested that being in Christ points to what he calls a situational Christology. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross and in rising from the dead created a whole new situation 
in the cosmos. Smeads suggests that there was an actual shift in the universe's balance of power. As Paul indicates in verse 15 of our text, the powers and authorities that had been vying for cosmic supremacy were disarmed and were turned into a spectacle. Now, to put it more concretely, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection created a whole new situation in the universe. As one commentator put it, when you, through baptism, enter that new situation, when you cross the border into the new world Jesus made, things become possible for you that simply would not be true were it not for Jesus. Objectively speaking, there is power available for changed living. There is wisdom available to discern truth. There is grace available to continually cleanse our lives. There is a gospel to proclaim as we invite others into this new world. Now what strikes me about Paul's words and about this idea of a shifting cosmic landscape is that ultimately then, it's almost all about what God has done and is doing, not us. But then, God, through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, graciously includes and incorporates us into God's grand story. You know, that's why Paul, in our text, recalls Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection. Because in baptism, that becomes our story too. We died. We were in the grave. We were raised with Christ. We were raised into that new cosmic landscape. And friends, it's with that knowledge and that hope and that comfort that we face the troubles of the world and the heartaches and hardships of our own lives. As I studied this passage an image formed in my own mind, a landscape image. I found it helpful in, in thinking about and in summarizing what's true about our baptism and about what it means to be in Christ. So the first part of the image is the ground. It's the foundation of the landscape. And what forms that foundation are the hands of God. Meaning that in Christ, through baptism, there is no place you will ever go where God's hands are not beneath you. 
I turn one last time to Lou Smeads. Smeads, in his book, How Can It Be All Right When Everything Is All Wrong, expresses that Christian hope is valid only if God's hands are still beneath us when we descend into life's deepest, darkest places. God's hands, says Smeads, are not metaphors. Our human hands are metaphors, he says. When I do my handiwork, I am an apprentice imitating God, a clumsy likeness at that. He lets us called our five-fingered extremities hands, says Smeads, only because they are something like his hands. His are the real ones, the originals, the archetypal creative ones. Smeets claims that is why when we are thrown into the dark place of loss or suffering or grief or what Smeeds describes as our own mini hell, it is life and death, whether his hands are really holding us or not. You enter the eye of grace, the ultimate safety zone, says Smeeds, when you feel in hell's bed, God's own hands holding you up. Brothers and sisters, because you are in Christ, the landscape of your life has as its immovable foundation the hands of the Creator, the real ones, the originals, the archetypal creative ones. And there is nowhere you or your life can go where those hands are not beneath you. Which affirms the truth that in this world, there is trouble. And there will be trouble. Jesus said it himself. Being in Christ doesn't mean that we somehow get to rise above all of the storms of this world or are isolated from the pain of it. We too face all the uncertainties and difficulties and indignities of being human in this broken world. As we know well, being in Christ doesn't exempt us from cancer or debilitating diseases, or destructive addiction, or underemployment, or financial worries, or making mistakes that hurt others. But that leads us to what I see at the center of that cosmic landscape. On the top of the foundation of God's hands, at the very center, rising above all else, is the cross of Jesus. Being in Christ means 
that Christ's death on the cross won a decisive victory over the powers of sin and evil and death that entangle us all. And now, though the final and complete defeat has not yet happened, in this life, in this world, because of the cross, we get to glimpse and even participate in Christ's victory of love over hate, of goodness over evil, of life over death. Once years ago when I was visiting a parishioner with dementia in the nursing home, I stepped into the room and the woman's quite frail husband was already there. Lunch had been delivered on a tray and her husband was leaning over her from the side of the bed, tenderly feeding his wife. Neither of them saw or heard me right away. As her husband crouched over to bring some food on that spoon into her open mouth, the cross that he was wearing swung over into her vision and she grabbed it and she held on to it for a while. And then she let it go and he continued feeding her. Well, that experience stuck with me because it was such an incredible picture of the power of cross-shaped love. The power of the love poured out for us on the cross is what animates the lives of those of us who are in Christ. And that power rises above all else and that power will someday win the day. Finally, with God's hands as the foundation and the cross at the center of our new landscape, hovering over the top is the arc of God's historic redemptive plan. It is the arc of God's great story. The story that has as its end the time when our world will be landscaped in perfect justice and truth and goodness and peace. That arc declares our hope. It reminds us that all our efforts to live by the power of love, to live by the power of Christ's love in us. They're taken up and they're used by God in God's grand plan. I was reminded this week that in Tolstoy's Lord of the Rings, when the company of travelers who are on the quest to destroy the evil power, the evil ring of power, when they find themselves in an elvish kingdom, one of the leaders there tells those community, tell, I'm sorry, tells this company of, of those who hope to, to destroy the, the evil ring that this community 
has been in a long resistance to the creeping shadow of evil. She admits that over the years, they've been losing that forest bit by bit to the Dark Lord. But then she tells them this, that as a community, they have gone on fighting anyway. She tells the company of travelers how, and I quote, together through the ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat. In Christ, together, we too fight against the forces that oppose God's loving plan for the flourishing of this world and all its people. In Christ, together, we are part of the long defeat. And though what we may do may seem so small, it is making a difference in that long arc of God's redemptive plan. To think that what you're doing with strong, powerful love is too small is not so. For the same loving power that raised Jesus from the dead and raised us from baptism's waters is at work in us. And through us, every small act done in power, in God's powerful love, is taken up into that grand redemptive story and is used by God. And so my encouragement to you this evening, this week, is to not give up loving, even in the face of trouble or resistance. Keep praying for that person or situation that seems it won't change. Keep showing kindness, even when it's not returned. Keep encouraging. Keep shining the light of love into dark places. And keep hoping. Keep hoping. Keep hoping. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful that, that, that our lives are hidden in Christ. In baptism, we were buried and raised with him, and now his love lives in us. And so God, help us in whatever small way we can to use his powerful love to make a difference in our world, and in doing so, Lord, to bring your kingdom and your ultimate salvation to, to this world and to all people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.